So glad to be with you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is a lovely time of the year. It's spring, and even in the worst cold climates, the hope of a little daffodil pushing its way up through the snow and etc. is soon to happen. We've been talking about a myriad of things uh, this last month, and I started talking to you about the Sermon on the Mount, which I'd committed to working through all three chapters of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And as I began that trek, I found myself being led to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, first talking about the sand and the rock, the hearers and the doers, the wise men and the foolish man. And we did that earlier this month. And today I want to follow up in something we recently talked about, and that's our character, our character. And I want to read the first five verses of chapter seven. And I'm titling this character and conduct, character and conduct. Uh, You, like a lot of Americans, have probably seen the documentary called Social Dilemma. What a character-driven, conduct-required situation those men and women were placed in. And I believe that that is true of every day in every way for every one of us. I say that again. Every day, in every way, for every one of us, we are put into situations where our character is called upon. And one thing about character is you can fake it till you make it for a short time. But if it isn't really there, it's going to trip you up. So if you're basically a dishonest person and you're dealing with someone you know values honesty and you're very honest with that person for a time being, it'll probably work. But eventually, that person who values honesty will discover that you don't. So character is something that sort of seeps out of this. It it comes out of this as we live our lives. So as we continue this look at the Sermon on the Mount, I want to talk to you about these first five verses. If you read these five verses in a number of versions, you you find an interesting small change in words, but nothing very dramatic. So let me read them to you. Chapter 7 of Matthew, verse 1 through 5. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Ouch. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take that speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Do do you feel the weight of that? I have read that and have been talking about that, and I feel the weight of it every time I read through it. Because he says, do not. He doesn't say, 
don't most of the time or occasionally or when it's easy, he says do not. And he uses the word judging. And a number of the versions that I read this in indicate that it is not just judgment, which has a rather harsh, strong turn, doesn't it? I think if you said to me, Donna Otto, are you a judging person? I would probably say to you, no, not the majority of the time. But if you said to me, Donna Otto, are you a critical person? Ooh, there's something about that word change that makes me say, hmm, maybe. And then what am I critical about? Uh, I'm more critical about things than I realize I am. And part of that is the burden I put on myself. And Galatians mm, chapter 6, verse 1 says, My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. That's what I want you to do to me when I do something. Oops! Or when I need a course correction of myself, Oops, I want you to do it, but I want you to do it in the tone and tenor of gentleness. Ah, I think, in part, we have to recognize that that is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about not judging. He's talking about not passing judgment. He's talking about not being critical. But he's also talking about this tone that when something does go askew and we have an opportunity to restore that relationship, perhaps between you and a friend, you and a spouse, you and a family member, and restoration is now made possible what, in whatever vehicle, then do it in gentleness. Do it in gentleness. Jesus is not forbidding the grief we feel when we have a splinter in our own eye or we see it in someone else's eye. He's just reminding us that it's not our job. Peter tells us um, about our faith in light of the character in following the traps of the world. The world sets a lot of traps for us to fall into. Try this, it's not so bad. Try that, try the other. I think probably the thing that comes to my mind often about traps is what the technology has brought in trapping men and women and boys and girls uh, into lewd and sexually permissive things on the screen. Um, big umbrella pornography. And it, it doesn't happen in a way that says, I'm going to type into my bar search for pornography. It comes in small ways that drag us in. So no man is born with character. No infant child is born in that child has character. He doesn't. He doesn't, she doesn't. We make our character and let others make our character. And one of those things is what Paul talks about in the New Testament when he says, you are who you hang out with. That's an auto motto, paraphrasing. Paul saying, be sure you know who you're running around with because whoever you're running around with. And I remember coming to that as a young woman thinking, well, that's not true. I have my own thoughts and ideas. Until when I was a teenager, a teenager, all of my girlfriends that I hung around with were all smoking. Every one of them were smoking. Do you understand that? There were 14 girls in this little, it was a high school sorority that did lots of wonderful things for our community, and they all smoked. I was the only one who didn't smoke. And as it was, I was following Christ, and I was trying to be a good Christ person, but, but they were all smoking, and I felt left out. I bought a package of cigarettes, 20 cigarettes. I tried smoking every one of them, and I couldn't, and finally I said, I can't do this. But I remember thinking... My goal was to be like them. 
I like how many times I've thought of that in my lifetime. That was the goal. Now I was a teenager, but that doesn't make a difference because we all do that, and we often hang out with people who we do want to be like. They're beautiful. They're smart. They're educated. They're in my profession. They will help me. So Christ and Christ alone gives you faith to build your character. I did just talk about Christian character out of Psalm 15, and if you missed that podcast, you might want to go back and listen to that. We make our character from our natural disposition. We all have natural dispositions. We're born with them. Personality profiles, whatever it is you want to call it, we're, we're born with it. We're born more talkative or less talkative. We're born more less. So now what is it you're going to do about that? I often say this, and in recent years I've said it more uh, simply, but I think in my immediate family of childhood, my original family, um, my parents and the family that I was born into, they didn't wake up one morning and say, how can I disable Donna? But their lifestyle and their way and the choices and what they did were disabling and I felt by the time I was 17 that I didn't know a lot of things I wanted to know. But what happened to me is I went through a very strong period of what I call self-judgment. And I want to remind you that when Jesus says here in the Sermon on the Mount, do not judge so that you may not be judged, he is talking about self-judgment also. And self-judgment can be very passive and very private and very secretive. And you can look like the most confident person in the world, and all the while you're thinking to yourself, oh, I just messed up. Oh, I don't look as good. Oh, I don't, I'm not as educated, etc., etc." So judging not includes self-judging not. The Holy Spirit reveals what is wrong, not for the purpose of correction, but for the purpose of intercession. The purpose of intercession. I think about this gift, this discerning spirit's gift. Now, it is listed in the spiritual gifts that God gives. But sometimes we're with someone, we've just had enough experience in an area. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say one that's really often in, in my world. Um, I have a lot of experience about marriage and marriage counseling and marriage material and scriptural words about marriage. So when I meet someone who has trouble in their marriage and I discern what the real reasons are, well, I just want to tell them. I just want to tell them. And the ability to discern what's wrong is not for the telling. The ability to discern what's wrong is for the interceding. And I say that again, it's not for the telling, it's for the interceding. And I find myself so often in those situations where I have to know and be quiet. I have to know and intercede privately. I have to know and stay focused and stay with that person until God is ready to assist that person in a change. Can I be there available to answer any questions? Yes, but that doesn't mean that I'm in the telling place. God is love, and those who abide in his love abide in God, 1 John 5 and 16. And that is what we have to take seriously. If we take seriously that God allows us to discern something, then we don't have time for judgment. We only have time for intercession. 
Search me, O Lord, and know my ways. That takes an enormous amount of time. And I believe the more time we spend in intercession and asking him to search us and know our ways, the more there will be flowing waters, living waters that we can pass on in love to others and much less time for judging, much less time for judging. I really do think that Christians, people who call themselves Christians, are more critical. And, and I don't know why I particularly came that, but I think it's true because we enter into a deep communion with God and that allows us for softness and tenderness and kindness and things that he is teaching us. And then we see someone who's not abiding in that, and we ourselves want to be like them. We don't wake up and say, well, she's doing that, or whatever, but that's what happens. We become critical and judgmental against the ways they are choosing to live their life. When we become more vindictive and cruel by telling them than we are by being the soft, loving, kind, tender person that God calls us to. The superior person, the person who feels superior is the one who passes judgment. Shall I say that again? It's so hard to say. Because when I judge you, what I'm really saying is I'm superior to you. I know better. I know better. Instead, we should be quieting ourselves and not passing judgment. He says in verse 2 that you will be judged as you are judged, which is pretty hard, a hard road. Uh, have you been with people who are judging and then you just want to judge back because mm, it's easy. It's what they do and what you do, and here I am and I'm pushing back. Psalm 18, verses 25 and 26 with the loyal, you shall show yourself loyal. With the blameless, you shall show yourself blameless. With the pure, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you show yourself perverse. It's very easy to hang out with someone who's judgmental, and suddenly you pick up, you are who you hang out with, but you pick up the characteristics. And what God is calling us to is the characteristic of humility. It's a hard word to hear Christ say, you hypocrite, you hypocrite. Mm, I don't want anyone to call me a hypocrite. What does a hypocrite mean? And I did just a little interesting, I thought, research and found out that hypocrite comes from the theater. It is a person who, by their own nature, plays one role and by the actor plays another role. So a hypocrite is really an actor playing two parts, both to meet his own needs and the other. And so he calls us to not be hypocritical, not to be critical, to instead be steadily available. And Hosea uses this wonderful phrase, your goodness is like a morning cloud. I'd much rather have my goodness be like a morning cloud, white and fluffy in the blue sky than a thunderstorm. Uh, I'd much rather be the kind of person you look forward to seeing because I'm going to offer you encouragement instead of the cloud and doom that comes across when you see me coming because you know I'm going to tell you some other truth that I happen to know. Can you tell that I know a lot about this? Unfortunately, uh, I think I know more about this than I wish I did. 
I went through a very strong period of judging. I thought it was the Christ thing to do. I thought it was because I was working with younger women. Everyone wanted me to tell them what they saw so they could fix themselves. Mm. I think it was more my own nature of cultivating a critical spirit because I was acting superior to them. I'm not saying that I still don't do that, because I do. I fall prey to passing judgment. I fall prey to being critical. I fall prey to wanting something to be done and done perfectly. I get a vision in my mind. Oh, that's what it'll look like. It's the flower on the table or the table how it's set or the meal how it's cooked or the box how it's wrapped or whatever. And I got the picture in my mind and then it didn't come the way I pictured it. And suddenly I feel critical. I feel critical. Disapproving comments faults to be corrected, even faults that are just noticed, are something that we need to take a consideration. A person who is continually criticized becomes good for nothing, Oswald Chamber tells us. Criticism knocks the props out of us and has a deadly effect on our spirit. So what is Jesus saying? Uh, first look for the beam in your own eye. I love that he uses this word, a son of a carpenter, and he says, um, make sure that you've taken care of the beam in your own eye. That's plenty of lifetime to spend doing. Every day in every way, I would encourage you to ask the Lord, what's the log look like in my eye today? Help me to intercede on that behalf. Give me wisdom to change the ways to improve my own character. Daniel, when he is called to the place that he must bow his knee and pray to someone who is not God. His first words are, no, I'm not doing that because, because that's, no. His first words are, in complete humility, I have sinned with thy people. I'm so moved by that. Here he is standing up to the king and saying, no, I'm not going to bow because this is what my God calls me to do. He's brave and courageous. He's standing up for what he believes to be true. And the first words out of his mouth are, I have sinned with the people. And that's humility. That's what humility looks like. And a person who acknowledges that beam that's in their eye always that speck that's in their eye that needs to be cured for immediately is the person who stands before God and says, I have sinned with thy people. I pray that those words will be an encouragement to you in your own heart, that you will take time to not be critical on yourself or pass judgment on yourself, but that you would have the spirit of observation, the spirit of discernment, and take that discernment to intercession with God. I'm Donna Otto, and this is Modern Homemakers, and I'm so glad you joined me. If you heard the announcement about 75 tokens, I hope you're thinking about it. Be sure to send us an email and let us know what you're doing with your 75 tokens, and we'll gather them together and bring them here to the podcast show. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of giving up judgment. <laughs>